Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Kos The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I am Marcos Molitsis with my co-host, Carrie Eleveld. Welcome back. Yeah, here I am. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Here you are. We were going to have a guest for Media Matters to talk about Fox News and stuff. That's been postponed because of unforeseen circumstances. We're going to talk to them in a week or two. But that's okay, because, Carrie, we have a lot to catch up on, you and me. You've been gone for <laughs> four just, weeks. This is going to be This is going to be like, yeah, this is going to be like Marcos and Carrie, like, like raw, you know, like un, uncut. <laughs> we're just going to go for it. So I, I hope everybody's... Strap that seatbelt on, man. Here we go. So you t- you picked a really good time to go on vacation because it was it was kind of dead. Mm-hmm. Not much <laughs> happened. Yeah, um, do you remember remember the last time we like signed off for the new year and we were like, I bet you by the time we come back, Joe Manchin's still going to be holding up Build Back Better and blah 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 blah. And we basically predicted everything that was going to be happening a month later. Yeah, not this time. <laughs> no, no. Not this time. So we didn't have a uh, the largest land war in Europe since World War II on a bingo card. Didn't have that. Nope. Maybe maybe we could have foreseen a Supreme Court nomination and hearings, but I definitely didn't have a bunch of conservative yahoos driving around in a circle around Washington D.C. in their semis, crying about teenagers flipping them the bird. That was yeah. that was high comedy, <laughs> and. Carrie, you may have missed it, but they decided that the entire Ukraine invasion was a plot by the deep state to take away media attention from them. Oh, my God. How did I miss that story? (gasps) (laughs) Because the deep state nailed it. (laughs) They're so good. They're so good. Mission accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, plunged the world into, you know, on the precipice of a nuclear Armageddon. So a bunch of yahoos who who had to pee in a bottle and complained about it on their, on their live feed. Could because... spend their, their, their life savings of $13,000. <laughs> so you did pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw that on Daily Coast All because right. that's my main news source. So here's the thing, Carrie. Okay. When I go on vacation, I'm doing it next week first time in a while, it's weird because I, I try to unplug from like the Daily Coast Slack and I'm not in the news cycle. So I start, I start consuming media the way, not the way a regular American does because regular Americans like not like what's going on in The Economist today, but it's a more generalized way of approaching the news, right? It's not so acutely plugged in. It's a little more disambiguated. I don't know, make it up words. So you've just had a month where you weren't plugged into the Daily Coast Borg. You were literally excluded from the Daily Coast Slack so that you yeah. would not, you know, accidentally work <laughs> during yeah. your time off. Yeah. What was it like? Woo. Well, I just want to tell people. So I, I had I had elective surgery, not to share TMI, right? Not too much, not too much TMI here. I'm fine. And that means that I on the night that Ukraine or that Russia started invading Ukraine, which was Thursday, the, the 20, or no, which was Wednesday, the 24th, 
I went into surgery on Thursday, Wednesday, the 23rd. I went into surgery on Thursday, the 24th, very early in the morning. So my last headline was basically the shelling has started, right? And then I was high on hydrocodone for like three days, (laughs) your pain meds, you know, to try and like ease the pain. Again, I'm well, and this was, this was elective, but um, it's just an annoying thing I had to get done. So anyway, um, but then all of a sudden we're in a full scale war. I mean, I was like, uh, okay, I'm coming down off these meds. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> it doesn't look good. So anyway, so just <laughs> that for more meds, <laughs> just give again. you a sense. I mean, I was trying to get off them early because, you know, they're highly addictive. You don't want to be on them. And I was like, you know, as soon as I can tolerate the pain, I'm going to get off these things. And then I was like, this is a shit show. I mean, like, so, um, and, you know, at first, incredibly inspiring on the UK, on the, uh, you know, in terms of Ukraine, the civilians, the, the, um, you know, just brave stand that they have taken, but then just crushing knowing that, you know, of course, uh, Vladimir Putin was going to end up just bombing the heck. Um, and that really doesn't do it justice, but, you know, bombing the heck out of the, out of the entire country, wherever he could, especially the more he started to lose ground, the worst of a strategic debacle it was. And by the way, anyone who hasn't listened to Marcos's dispatches, I mean, first of all, what I noticed was Marcos and Mark Sumner have been doing some of the best coverage of anyone in terms of strategically where things stand. Of course, there are very, you know, we're thankful to have very brave reporters on the ground there who have brought home some of the human element of what's happened in Ukraine. When I listened to your podcast with John Stoltz, right, of Vote Vets, and I can't remember who your other guest- Brandon Friedman. Okay, yeah, I wasn't as familiar with him. That was by far the best explanation I'd ever heard on any- outlet anywhere of why this had gone so wrong and so far south so quickly for um, for Russia. And, you know, at that point, mainstream journalists were still asking uh, Ukrainians, well, how long are you going to be able to hold out? And you guys were already predicting this is just a big loser, a big clusterfuck, excuse me, for for Putin, no matter which way he slices it now. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be incredibly painful. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be heart-wrenching to watch, but this is going to be a disaster. This is already a disaster for him. So anyway. Um, no, what I, I just want to yeah. very, it wasn't even a prediction. I mean, we're, we're seeing yeah. what's happening on the ground and there, the, the media has, the traditional media has done a really good job on the human interest aspect of the story, the refugees, the human toll, that, that part of thing. It, they, they've been great. Being on the ground, that's a story that's relatively easy to tell. The story of what's happening militarily, none of these, none of these media people have military experience. When they go to the generals on CNN, the generals are looking at sort of the maps, the units, right? They don't actually have experience, the kind of experience that I did and John Soltz did and Brandon Friedman did of actually serving in a unit and dealing with the logistical reality of on the ground, right? Like being the grunt on the ground is a different view than being, than being, you know, a general back in, back in the Pentagon. It's, it's sort of the difference. The person working the Amazon warehouse 
has a very different view of Amazon than John Bezos uh, than than uh, Jeff Bezos. Jeff sure. Bezos, no. Jeff Bezos. Yeah, yeah you, Jeff. we know who, we know who you mean. <laughs> and and so it, it it's a different perspective and one that sort of understands the realities on the ground. So yeah, I'm I'm very proud of the of the coverage that we've done at Daily Coast and and uh, and that episode was great. And our episode last week with Mark Sumner actually is at yeah. over a hundred thousand listens, which is now our our most popular episode. So it seems that people appreciate that deeper understanding of the strategic and, and tactical view of the war in Ukraine, as opposed to how many, how many refugees have, have come out and what the situation in the refugee camps is and the toll on civilians that are being bombed. Important stories to tell. I do not want to minimize yep. that in the least, but it's not the full story. And missing that part of the story is the reason that you had CNN for weeks talking about Russia is 20 kilometers from this downtown Kiev. And acting like, oh, my God, the hordes are coming. When we just look at the map and go, like, they literally haven't moved in two weeks. Yeah. So what, what are you hyperventilating about? The story right, is obvious. Right. And you don't have to be a tactical genius to realize that when nothing moves, that means stalemate. There's Something stuff. is wrong. <laughs> Something is not so, going as planned. Right. I mean, right. They, didn't, they didn't come up. They didn't plan to, like, sit outside of Kiev for, you know, seven, 14, 21 days and have pizza, you know, like that's not, you know, that's not what they were. Not at all. So, but, but listen, what, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, you go, no, no. You, you have, okay. No, I, I was so, going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> ah! You go. <laughs> Jinx. We're out of, we're out of practice here. We got to. Yeah. We're out, we're out of sync. We're out of all sync. Right. Our logistics are terrible here. So, uh, <laughs> no, what I was going to say was, is, um, you know, on, on, a, on a much bigger picture, right, for me, as I looked at what was happening, I was thinking, and again, I was not immersed in the details. I was very specifically picking certain things that I thought I could tolerate while I was, you know, healing, literally. And I was realizing the extent to which this, you know, this, this, this uh, battle between Russia and Ukraine or Vladimir Putin and, uh, you know, Volodymyr Zelensky, um, this this battle between author authoritarian regime, Soviet style authoritarian regime and, you know, Western democracy was really crystallized. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying anything that people haven't already thought of, I think, um, and especially progressives. But I think what what was interesting and what is true is that it's crystallized for a lot of Americans the fact that this battle is still going on. It's, it's ongoing and it's a giant, huge, continuing threat and not just externally, but internally here in the United States. And I think progressives and Democrats um, throughout the Trump's tenure have seen where the Republican party is, ha has been headed um, and have been warning and saying, look, this is an authoritarian party. They want fewer people to vote. They want to control the outcomes of the vote. They want to be, they're fine being beholden to one person. As long as that person, you know, manages to mm -hmm. secure power, they really don't seem that interested in a peaceful transfer of power you know, the the episode of January 6th, the fact that they haven't wanted to, you know, explore that, examine it, learn from it, make sure it doesn't happen again instead of become denialists of it. You know, all of these things are happening here at home. And it seems like, you know, 
independents, certainly 30% of Republicans at the very least, you know, and, you know, even some Trump Biden voters, you know, suburban voters, people who are not sort of immersed in the details the way you are, the way I am most of the time, they haven't really grasped what this fight is about, what this existential fight for democracy is about. And I feel like, you know, this horrific and um, gut-wrenching, you know, war that we have seen play out in Ukraine has crystallized for Americans in a way that threat that we haven't felt in a very re- real way in some way since the end of World War II. I'm not saying there haven't been, you know, instances of attacks and, um, you know, people feeling vulnerable, but but the existential threat in that sense, I think, you know, and I'm certainly not downplaying 9-11 either, but the existential threat that the whole country feels, I feel like hasn't been brought home since World War II in the way that it has been brought home here. And I think, you know, we got to win this battle in Ukraine and and, um, we got to do what we can to help them um, and hopefully find, and at the same time, de-escalate tensions there. But we got to win this battle at home too. And I don't want to be crass and I don't want to dismiss what's happening abroad at all. But this is a fight here at home in the United States. It's an existential threat. One of our parties is no longer invested in democracy, and you can see what that yields with someone like Vladimir Putin. And I think you know this very well, uh, as you've been. Yeah, absolutely. What's funny is that I was actually going to prompt to exactly this topic when we were sitting or stepping all over each other, because one of the things that struck me this past week is past month is this infighting in the Republican Party because they don't know how to handle this issue of Ukraine. Um, and I was like, oh, Carrie, because Carrie, for those who don't know, she, you know, one of her beats is the the sort of the crack up of the Republican Party and it's bent towards authoritarianism and the rear guard, you know, small government conservatives that are just trying to like hold on to their party as it slips away. And so there was so much evidence of that over this past month. But I, there's no accident that Donald Trump was all excited when Putin invaded I mean, yeah. he was, oh, that's so brilliant. That's amazing. He's so smart. Genius. It's genius. And a month later, just this weekend, he reiterated that it was genius, but it was a negotiation gone bad. Oh, yeah. it's just, just a mild, you know, hiccup of a negotiation. He cannot let go because Putin is his role model. It's his ideal. If you look at Republicans, you have you have the fake the fake Christianity, right? Um, for all the all the ways that conservatives have vilified Islam, you know they mock it as a religion of peace because of extremist groups like ISIS. Y- y- here you have Putin literally using Christianity as a rationale for invading and destroying Ukraine. So you have the sort of uh, religious ethnofascism. You have the um, locking up media that they don't like and creating that media bubble, right? I mean, Republicans would love it if Fox News and AM talk radio was the whole game and yeah. everything else got, I mean, we see it. The suppression of protests, the, the wrong kind of protest, right? The way they treated uh, Black Lives Matter protests and, and, and the resistance during the Trump years. The way they have bullied and this might is right approach to foreign policy where, well, we got the big army and we're the greatest nation on earth. So we can tell people what to do the way uh, Trump was bigfooting around 
Europe and and had he won re-election, NATO would have been would have been done. There, there was yeah. no NATO. The attempt to use others for his own political gain. I don't want it lost. And I'm afraid that it might get lost, but I don't want it lost that the first impeachment of Donald Trump was because he was extorting Zelensky over Javelin missiles, the same Javelin missiles that have basically uh, stopped the Russian hordes. The same. Right. Those were the missiles that Donald Trump was holding hostage unless Zelensky literally made up an investigation against Hunter Biden. Even which, said, like, which, which to this day, he is calling for now, he's begging Putin to release yeah. information on <clears throat> Hunter Biden. I mean, talk about the height of irrelevance. Donald Trump, you know, back, like reliving his glory days by, by asking Putin now, instead of Zelensky, obviously, but asking Putin to release information on Hunter Biden. I mean, that's been, you know, sorry. So I interrupted you, but it's like, God, talk about someone who's grasping onto relevance. I mean, this whole thing has just left him behind. And he's like, he's like still think, you know, still trying to get dirt on Joe Biden, yeah. you know, like, yeah. So anyway. And then you throw in privatization. Right. The big Republican, everything must be privatized. I wrote a story this morning about the fourth guard tank army. This is a a storied Russian armored division. It pushed back the Nazis from uh, Stalingrad in World War Two, one of the most famous military units of any nation in history. And uh, they came in between in the northeast axis of the country and they pushed in and they'd gotten absolutely obliterated, like absolutely obliterated. We're talking a division with 230 tanks. Uh, It has lost at least 80 of them that we have seen visually pictures of. And that's just like the baseline. It's, It's combat ineffective. It has literally been pushed back to Russia by Ukrainian forces that are, again, really want to stress, undergunned. I mean, they don't have the big tanks and the big and the Air Force and the massive artillery that that Russia has. They pushed out the most famous Russian division, pushed them back across the Russian border. Why do I bring this up? Because as I was researching and writing the story, which ran on Daily Coast today, Tuesday, I was I was digging into the the leadership and and the, the commander of the entire unit was dismissed. But one of the regiments, a commander was uh committed death by suicide and so dig into well, well, what happened here probably because of his failures right no it turns out is that they went in to look at their their strategic stockpiles to replace those lost tanks right they're supposed to go in and then there's all these old older tanks they can pull out and it turns out that only one in ten were functional most of them had had their engine you know engines removed there was no maintenance no no care for them and just like any you leave a car in a garage for 20 years it's not going to run <laughs> if you try to pull it out military equipment's even more fragile requires even more care and so dig in you know dug in a little further so anyway none of the equipment works so, that, so the guy you know died by suicide but why was that equipment in such bad condition, it's because Russian government had privatized the maintenance of that equipment to some oligarch friend of Putin, of course. And he wasn't going to actually spend money maintaining equipment because what war were they going to fight? I mean, they had enough equipment to go to Syria and their little wars. I mean, there was no intent to fight a major land war against a, a foe that actually would be able to, to, to uh, attrit 
their main forces. So it just turns out that even that was a house of cards. So you have on top of everything else, the, 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 <laughs> the, you know, being an authoritarian and, you know, squel squelching the press and squelching protest and throw in privatization. And really Russia is the Republican ideal. This is what they're it fighting is. for. And this is why and Trump can can't I, quit. Can I, yeah. Can't quit. Let me just add the accumulation of wealth at the top. The accumulation yes. of of all the money being with the one percent and them just being able to get away with doing anything with impunity because there is no accountability. There's no elections. There's no real elections. There's just Putin. Yes, men. And where that gets them. I mean, you know, it's astonishing to me that the supposed secretary of defense has never actually been in combat. Is that true? I mean, they're, they're at, at Putin's oh, secretary. Oh, there, of there's, there's a whole story about that because they had a yeah. secretary of defense that was actually holding the oligarchs accountable for the quality of the equipment right. that they were giving, and that couldn't stand. So nope, he got out. Get rid of him. And yep. Shoigu, uh, Shoigu, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. The current uh, minister of defense uh, has survived over 20 years in the pen in the, in the Kremlin precisely because he lets the oligarchs do whatever they want, including delivering substandard, non-functional equipment. Russia is supposed to have 3,500 um, aircraft in its air force, and yet they can only fly about 10 to 15 sorties a day over Ukraine. That math does not work in any rational sense, except that the entire air force was just one big grift, and it's a paper tiger, and they can't get it to fly, because if they could fly it, they would fly it. There's no strategic reason to, to hold back one of the greatest advantages in modern warfare, which is air superiority and air, and, and air support for your ground forces. So, but then now you, let's go back to the United States and you have Trump can't quit them. Marjorie Taylor Greene can't quit them. Lauren Boebert can't quit them. Tucker Carlson is still apologizing for Putin. QAnon has become, for whatever reason, has become all, all, they've gone all in on Putin. And their whole movement, so you have Mitch McConnell, like, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a veteran of the Soviet Union's evil empire, right? Like he actually, he's on the right side at this moment. His whole party is falling apart though, because they're, they're all falling towards this pro-Putin stance. And even, even um, today, Tuesday, you had a Republican in Congress in the House, introduce legislation that would scrub clean the first impeachment against impeachment because the the call was perfect. I mean, right? <laughs> you look at the this call, is... and it was patently a shakedown for those javelin missiles that had literally turned the tide of this war. And I don't want people to forget because it seemed very Ukraine. You know, most people couldn't find Ukraine on the map. You know, two years ago, right. and uh, and it seemed so far away, and the details weren't complicated, but they were more complicated than, than, you know, a, you know, an intern, you know, giving a president the BJ. Right. So, but now way work, like way to work that in there. Impressive. The, <laughs> the, sorry, this story kind of gets us into, into November, right? How can Democrats use Ukraine to relitigate not just Donald Trump's authoritarianism and his assault on, on Russia, but the Republican movements, conservative movements, continued support for Putin and Russian-style autocracy as a model for what Absolutely. their America looks like. 
So I, I want to make just an addendum to something you said, which is, you know, for the moment, Mitch McConnell's on the right side in terms of backing Ukraine, you know, wanting U.S. to support Ukraine. But of course, what we know is, as soon as, you know, Biden took as many actions as he possibly could and helped rally this whole effort to put, you know, really severe economic sanctions on Russia, as soon as that happened and, you know, gas started going up, then the then the Republicans were <clears throat> turned around and were like, oh, this is, you know, this isn't Putin's price hike. This is, you know, at the pump, of course, this is this is right. Joe Biden's. Right. And I just want to say just just for a second, let's step back. Who is responsible for enabling Putin to think that Ukraine was weak enough that he could just roll right over it. He could roll into it, take the capital city and just, you know, annex the entire country, right? Who in America, which party is most responsible? And I just want to say the Republicans spent four years just turning a blind eye to everything Donald Trump did, all his Putin praising, all his Putin bootlicking. And then they let Trump off the hook for impeachment when he tried to extort the Ukrainian president, right, in order to get dirt on Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, supposed dirt, right, essentially asking him, extorting him so that he'll, he would manufacture, so that Zelensky would manufacture an investigation that was, you know, totally bunk. And they and, and the Republicans let him off the hook for this. In the in the first impeachment proceedings and McConnell led that charge of letting Trump off the hook for that. So if anyone has has weakened Ukraine and empowered Putin to do whatever he wants, the Republican Party has been right there lockstep. So if you want to call this Joe Biden's price hike, you might as well call it Republicans price hike. Because you think McConnell regrets that. I don't think he regrets anything. No. I, I don't. I don't. He, you know what? You know what? He, I think Republicans have realized is that the Amer- that that the average American's memory is just so short that they can't piece that together. And here's where Democrats must improve. Right? I, I heard something, and I can't remember where I heard it, but this idea, the notion that Democrats really think that. You know, the media is on their side because the media is typically fact based. Right. And that they will fact check Republicans and then it will all will come out and this will become, you know, and and the truth will become illuminated for Americans. That is never going to happen for Americans, given the presence of fact, Fox News, the constant beating of the drum, the constant flow of misinformation from Republicans Democrats cannot depend on the press and see the press as their, you know, they're not allies. They're not the allies. It's right. not allies. And the New York Times screwed us during the run up to the Iraq war. They screwed us at the end of the 2016 election with the Comey email BS. Right. Press and I think, are not allies. I think Democrats kind of find it unseemly to be connecting these dots and doing this work. And I also think they find it a little boring because frankly, to just like repeat the same five talking points over and over and over again for yeah. two years yeah. <laughs> is not super intellectually stimulating. I certainly are not going to do it. And I'm, right? I'm friendly. Right? I'm friendly media. Right. So, so the point is like Democrats can no longer depend. They've got to point these, these, they've got to pound these points home. They've got the, to connect the dots between Republicans and Putin and Trump 
and you know, and weakening Ukraine and what this is, what this is wrought for the world, for the world. And then suddenly they turn around, they're like, oh, we should be doing more. No, I didn't vote for, you know, the budget bill that would have provided more money for Ukraine, but Biden should be doing more. I mean, that is just, it's such bullshit. But, but, you know, Americans are very distractible. And They're susceptible to this constant churn of just the same talking points and the same misinformation churned over and over again. And, you know, if there was ever a time to expose the Republican Party for how unserious they are at a moment in time when we have the potential for World War Three, we're still trying we're still combating a global pandemic that, you know, could take millions, millions more people across the globe, not to mention here at home in the United States. If there were ever a time to unmask the Republican Party for just how profoundly unserious it is in this serious moment in history, it is now for the Demo- there for the Democrats and, and there for their taking. Yeah, and you know, this isn't too hard. So we're talking about gas prices, which I think is the number one plank of the Republican 2022 playbook. It's gas prices. Um, right now, the gas companies all have record profits. And it's not like, oh, it's just a percent or two. No, we're talking like massive windfall records. Uh, the price of crude oil has been going down. The price of gasoline at the pump has not been going down. They're pocketing that difference. And so it, it's really easy for Democrats. I don't understand why this isn't happening, where they're, you talk about, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cut down, we're going to eliminate the gas taxes. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to make it up with a windfall tax on energy companies. Boom. You've just shaved 30, 40 cents off a gallon of, of, uh, of gas right off the bat. And you have the gas companies pay for it and make it indefinite, make that indefinitely and go above and beyond that. But there's a way to shift the, this is, you know, this is a uh, Joe Biden's gas tax uh, or gas prices. Right. Shift that. To the gas companies and make that relentless gas companies and Putin and uh, war profiteers. There's plenty of that going around and punish those people. And there, Joe Manchin, to vote against it. I don't even think Joe Manchin would vote against a windfall tax on gas companies. I could be wrong. He keeps surprising me. But I I don't think uh, Joe Manchin doesn't knows what he won't vote. No. Or what. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The lobby is all the time. He was really excited about maybe re-upping some slimmer, trimmer form of Build Back Better. But today, mm, nah, not yeah. so much. We can't we can't tax those billionaires that uh, that uh, Biden just put in, the president just put into his budget. That would, that's just a bridge yeah. too far. For but there's been so much Republican defense of Putin. So, for example, Ron Johnson, senator from Wisconsin, who's up for re-election, one of the most important Senate races this year in a 50-50 uh, state spent 2018 Fourth of July in Moscow, you know, palling around with Putin and his friends. And there's there a whole group, there's a whole, whole gaggle of Republicans, no Democrats in that group, whole gaggle of Republicans. He's the one that is electorally relevant right now and obviously a big target. There's a bunch of states that are just red states, but Republicans are palling around with Putin in Moscow on Fourth of July. I mean, there's a lot of symbolism attach this stuff that can really be weaponized against Republicans and, and rightfully. So this isn't, this isn't cheap shots. This is legitimate given this record of the Republican party really embracing Putin to the point where 
people again don't realize is there was one change to the Republican platform in 2016. There was one change, and that was support for Zelensky and Ukraine. Because Paul Manafort was Trump's campaign manager, and Paul Manafort was also a lobbyist for Russia uh, attempting to undermine Ukraine. Right? These connections didn't make a lot of sense, or they seemed disconnected to real life at the time. Suddenly, these connections make sense. And there's a way, even what I just said is a little complicated. Like, there's a way to sort of strip it to its essence, which is Republicans want Russian-style autocracy. This right. is what they are fighting for. Look at Russia today. This is what they're fighting for. And I'm not a messaging guru, so I'm not the one who's going to actually write the copy. These, but these, ad, these ads, I mean, I feel like some of them write themselves. Uh, you know, we, there, there were people praising there you know trump's praising putin there's questions asked of someone what do you think of you know trump saying this about putin and senator x like turns away and walks down the hall you know i mean like that happened over and over and mm -hmm. over again it's not that hard i mean i'm not telling these campaigns exactly which campaign should do what but some of these things are there for the taking uh, undoubtedly there for the taking you are a you are a um a student of polling, public opinion polling. Oh, yeah. I'm like a novice student of polling. Like, you know, when you get into the deep, deep math stuff, I'm like, whoa. Well, no, we don't need to worry about the deep, deep. That's why we have people who know deep, deep math. <laughs> yeah, right. We're the guys who look at the, we look at the top line. Yeah. And maybe we look into some yeah. of the, the uh, yeah, yeah. sub demos to see. Yeah, yeah we, right, right. I'll look, I'll look at the <laughs> We're not going to do the actual math. But if you're going to get into methodology, I'm going to be like, oh, hold on a second. So what have you have you seen anything related to the war and its impact on, say, Joe Biden or the Democrats in general? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, really, just before I, I just before I went out, like Biden had done his State of the Union. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And, yes. you know, there he had gotten some bump from that. So there was a for, for a bit, there was a question. He, he had gotten a bump in the polls now. Not all the polling is in sync on this. So I'm going to rely on polling that I trust that some people, you know, some of our some of our readers love to hate, which is civics polling, because when civics polling showed that, you know, Trump was competitive in 2020 and when civics polling showed that Trump's, you know, uh, Trump's approval rating wasn't going down, people were very upset about that. Well, I mean, civil civics polling was right about those things. Right. So. So there is, this is civics polling. What I like about it is it doesn't jump around based on the state of the union. Oh, there's a big jump. And then, you know, back down or um, there's, you know, Afghanistan, the pullout of Afghanistan, there's a big drop. And then, you know, it goes back up and whatever. Civ civics polling and what I like about it um, is that it's much more steady. And because of whatever they do to it, right. It doesn't just jump around all the time, right? It's it's so so when I see movement in civics, sometimes I see movement in other polling, and I think, oh God, I hope that's true, or oh, I I hope that's not true. But when I see civics polling move, I trust that something is happening, um, and that's the value of civics polling is that it just doesn't like it's not herky jerky all over the place. Yeah, right? and so everybody knows um, civics polls every single day. So it's an ongoing, right. it's an ongoing sample. And, and the reason is, Carrie, um, public opinion just doesn't change that much. No, uh, and when people, it's not that fluid. When people want to shoot the messenger, I always say, well, so, let, so you're, a, you're a Clinton supporter. Yeah. What would make you change to Trump? Well, nothing. 
But then what makes right. you think other people are different? Right. What right. makes you think that you're the special snowflake who is so dead set on your opinions, but nobody else is, everybody else is malleable. We're not, as a species, we're not malleable. And marriage equality, which you are very well familiar with that whole battle, we're talking about a net 10, 15 shift in 10 years, in a decade. And that was considered a momentous shift in public opinion. Momentous. People are still trying one to figure out how that happened and what it takes to make that happen for other and it social was, issues. And it was one or two points a year. I mean, it was, it, but that's considered a momentous shift. So right. that's what civics sort of shows. And sometimes it's boring. Because you right. don't get the big dramatic. <laughs> you don't. You want that shift. You're like, oh, it was killer. There yeah. should be an uptick, uptick, you know, and then like. Mm. But there is for Biden. Yes. Okay. So th- let me hit Let me hit the bad news first because the good news is good and I can go into a, a little bit more detail on it. The bad news is like I just looked. I, I This is one thing that I looked at. Uh, I, I, I had. It was easy for me to look at some polling while I was you know, healing and not have that just crush my spirits. Um, Even though the polling wasn't always great, like the humanitarian disaster in Ukraine was just really overwhelming. So anyways, I looked at the polling regularly right now in the job approval ratings. Okay. The bad news is, is that in civics, Joe Biden's job approval sits at 38%. Okay. If you look at the 538 aggregate, it's closer to around 42%, low forties, right? So people don't like that because they're like, oh, it's, so, it's low. But the truth of the matter is, is that I don't think we should be super worried about exact numbers right now as much as we are worried about trends. And when I left, Joe Biden had been on a steady, like just before I left, Joe Biden had been on a steady downward trajectory on civics for months and months and with a few minor breaks, right? And, you know, it might plateau for a second, but then it was going back down. Since then, what we have seen is that it started to rebound, right? Um, and At the State uh, of the Union address. At the State of the Union af- address. Right. After the State of the Uni- Union address, it started to rebound. And I'm inclined to think that because that rebound on civics has continued, that he is getting, um, and there's another reason I think this, I'll tell you in a second. Biden, Joe Biden is getting credit for competent handling of this global response to Putin and his aggression, right? Yeah. Um, and his this completely unprovoked war. Which has uh, no been objectively one, a great response. Right, objectively a great <clears throat> response. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, that, that he, that this has been a reminder for both Democrats. And if you look at the crosstabs in that civics tracking poll, you can see that for Democrats and independents, they're both, he, he's gotten a net, plus gain of about six or seven points since Russia invaded Ukraine um, for both independents and Democrats. So I think for Democrats, some of them, it's really reminded them, oh my God, this is why we elected Joe Biden, right? Was for competent, competent handling of the pandemic. Some people have, you know, you can have, some people have different opinions of how competent that's been. No doubt that the rollout of the vaccine program was incredibly competent and swift. We just couldn't get everybody to take, you know, to buy into it because the Republican Party was by and large telling people don't do it. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a chunk of people who are angry that they had to wear masks. I mean, that's, right. that's what that really right. came down to. Mm-hmm. Because there was never a real so- vaccine ba- mandate beyond healthcare workers. So it really comes down to having to wear masks on planes. And that's what they're so, all angry about. Right, right. 
So the the other thing the other thing is that you know I, I think it reminded independents why you voted for why they voted for Joe Biden and I don't just say this um, over over um, Trump now some of them are just Democratic leaning independents but there are some actual swing voters or maybe not even swing voters they're Republicans who voted for Biden even though they had voted for Trump in 2016 so these Trump Biden voters and what was really interesting was I got kind of addicted to listening to Sarah Longwell who we've had on as a guest here. She's a never Trumper. She's the publisher of the bulwark. She's a Republican. She is, you know, desperately hoping to try and save the Republican Party. But one of the inspired things she did as publisher of the bulwark is, is start this podcast called The Focus Group. And I had a chance to listen to all of her, you know, most recent episodes, episodes of The Focus Group. And one of the episodes focused on Ukraine, and um, she had Lieutenant Colonel Vinman on oh, to talk yeah. with her about the, what voters had to say. But the interesting thing about focus groups, you know, polling kind of tells us what people think. And focus groups kind of give some insight into why they think it. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. One of the focus groups I listened to talked about Trump and the fact that some people aren't, some Republicans don't seem to be quite as hot on him running in uh, 2024 uh, as, as you know, there's some, some that are really hot and some are saying he shouldn't do it. And you think, oh, they're saying he shouldn't do it because they've had enough of him. What really came out in one of their focus, in one of those focus groups was that a lot of Republicans are saying he shouldn't do it because he lost in 2020 and they don't think he can win again. So it's not that they really dislike Trump or that they really are moving away from him that much. It's that they think he's a loser. It's a surprisingly cogent and, and <laughs> right. smart take. Right. I mean, I'm nothing. They, yeah, they don't think he can win. Disqualified. Right. So, so anyway, so that, that's the difference between what you get from polling and what you get from a focus group is sort of why people think things, right? The why. So yeah. in, this, in this focus group on Ukraine, they had these they had Republicans, but they also had Trump Biden voters. They were separate. Uh, I think they were separate focus groups. But in any case, it was really interesting to listen to these Trump Biden voters and several of them. I mean, you know, and I'm sure they take a cut of the people who really reflect, you know, who aren't outliers, who kind of reflect the general trend of what these voters are saying. And these Trump Biden voters who, who, who rejected Trump in 2020 and instead voted for Biden, even though they probably still lean Republican, said over and over, they were kind of saying, gosh, look at the situation in Ukraine. Like, can you imagine if Donald Trump was, uh, you know, we might have World War Three right now if because Donald Trump is just that crazy. I mean, maybe not, but you just don't know. And, you don't and, know what but, he would have done. We don't know what he would have done. And then there's one saying, you know, talking about Trump saying that Putin's genius and just saying how disgraceful that was, you know, quote unquote, disgraceful. And it's just disdainful that he like that he he you know built Putin up for four years and now he feels this need to weigh in and one of them you know on on this war like he's not president anymore he sh- you know basically was just this guy was just saying he should just shut up right he didn't mm-hmm. say that but that's essentially what he was saying and then one of them said it kind of makes me feel good now that I voted for Biden because this is like this is the reason so yeah. <laughs> for these Trump Biden voters it's actually a reinforcement for them. That this is why, you know, they, they, I don't know that they, you know, some of them may have voted for Biden because they thought that, you know, Trump was going to, you know, doom us all in the pandemic. But they wanted someone who was at least reasonable and at least competent. And this is this is 
this is this handling Joe Biden's handling of Ukraine is why they voted for him. So so I think we have, you know, to me and from my mind, I see this big picture crystallization of authoritarianism, authoritarianism versus democracy that being brought home to the American people as this stuff flashes across their screens. Right. And then you have this polling that shows and not all of it is consistent, but civics polling is consistent where you see this, uh, you know, slow sort of but sure uptick. I mean, it's real movement toward Mm -hmm. Biden as this as Ukraine continues to play out. I don't think at this point we can just say, oh, that's because he gave a good State of the Union speech. I don't believe that for a second. And, you know, at the same yeah, not time, enough people watch have, those. Yeah, right, right. And it's same. It was it was a good it was good. And then at the same time, then you have, you know, this focus, these this focus group that was really clear that it was reinforcing for people why they voted for for Biden over Trump, even if they were Republican or Republicans or Republican leaners. And to me, I feel like. Mm-hmm. This has put Biden and Democrats on better footing. I can't tell you whether or not they're going to be able to, you know, to to totally capitalize on this moment here. But I can tell you, as we always say, I don't I'm not just trying to play politics here. This is as important. You know, this upcoming election is as important to the fight, the global fight for democracy and freedom as anything that else is going on, including what's happening in Ukraine. We have to win here at home. We have to win there. We have to win everywhere. So Biden's approval ratings are on 38% on civics. And if you want, y'all can go civics.com, civics with a Q.com. And you can see by, by age, by sex, gender, by uh, education status, by party. And uh, it's fascinating stuff. And one of the things that um, is clear right now is that some of his lowest ratings are amongst Democratic-leaning young people. And so we've talked at length about the, uh, the one issue that might turn that around, which is college debt relief. And I don't think they're going to have a choice, but it's not, this is not a question. Biden has always been at near zero amongst Republicans. So it's not like you're going to make up or lose amongst Republicans. So it's been amongst, when you see Biden's numbers go down, it's because of Democrats that are unhappy that he hasn't delivered on their critical priority. And independence, which are when people think independence means like in the middle of Democrat and Republican. But no, independent means Tea Party Republican, who's like, oh, I'm not a Republican. They're sellouts. I'm an independent. They're still conservative. They're most likely to vote Republican. And then you have like Bernie Sanders liberals who are like the Democratic Party is sellouts. And so I'm an independent. <laughs> but they're going to really vote Democratic. Right. So independent, the true independence, I think Pew has really dug into it. It's about five percent of the electorate. It's enough to sway a lot of elections. I'm not going to discount it. But when people see independent, they think it's a sort of conglomerate in the middle of the parties. It's not just a tiny percentage of them are. But it's it's critical. And and there is going to be a debate this fall that was going to be on Republican terms, which was high gas prices, critical race theory, scary black people wanting you to read books and make you feel bad about being white. And what else were they going to run on? Freedom, just random freedom, <laughs> like generic freedom. Go look at Ukraine, what freedom really, like a loss of yeah, freedom. Right. Look at Russia, what a loss of freedom looks like. And then, and then we'll talk about your silly freedom. Right. You want to talk about like, cancel culture? Look at Russia. Yeah, look at Russia. So that was going to be the, the battleground. And I'm sure Republicans are going to keep trying to They're keep work trying. on those issues. But I think from a broad you know, resonance, the issues that really will, will the battleground we can fight on electorally 
is that competence in foreign policy, which historically has been weak ground for Democrats. And if they can shore that up with Ukraine and Joe Biden's able handling of, of the war. I mean, you have, you have Republicans going from, you know, it was a perfect phone call to, to extort the Ukrainians out of getting American anti-tank javelin missiles to why aren't we putting a no-fly zone, which would be just as dangerous, if not more so, because it would essentially require the U.S. to start lobbing missiles into Russia. I mean, no-fly zones. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta destroy their anti-aircraft missiles to fly aircraft over over Ukraine, right? So, Joe Biden has really walked that line very ably. Not to mention how you released all that intelligence. This is unprecedented. Uh, countries yeah. don't release that type of intelligence. Biden was basically telling Putin, "I got ears in your room. I, mean, I that was know amazing. what you're gonna do." Yeah, I and know what you're going to do. Yeah. It was so crazy and that Europe was like, no, that <laughs> yeah, can't even, be right. Even to some extent, Ukraine was like, no, yeah. this isn't going to happen. That's yeah, crazy. No, that, and, and Biden's like, um, we got ears. We know what's going on. And by the way, I, <laughs> that's got to drive Putin crazy because even the like, they're getting ready to do chemical weapons. And, you know, like Putin's like, all right, put them away. Put them away, guys. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they're on to us. They know. So he's managed this war and it's, he hasn't done it flashy. It's not like he's out there, you know, with, you know, Commander Codpiece, like George W. Bush with his Mission Accomplished banner, right? Like he's just calm and competent and giving the Ukrainians what they need, but not also giving into any cockamamie demand like, you know, a no-fly zone or give us, and we can get into why giving Ukraine planes is not a good idea, but it's, it's just... It's not a good idea militarily. There's much better, you know, bang for buck stuff, the missiles that they're sending. They're sending suicide drones now, which beat the heck out of any airplane that they could possibly ever send at a fraction of the cost and space too, because you can cram these little missiles into, you know, a lot of them into a truck as opposed to a plane, which is just is, logistically is there, very hard to maintain. Is there anything that Biden could be doing that you wish he was? Doing. Or do you think he's really got this balance He's, he's, he's nailing it. So, so if anything, I would like to see him work behind the scenes with some allies to really push for a nautical evacuation of Mariupol. Just have Turkey. And I know France and Turkey and Greece were talking about doing it and it's things have gotten really quiet, but it would be great for them just to send ships and just dare Russia to do something about it to evacuate. Mm -hmm. I would like to see the U S can't do it. We cannot do it without risking a broader war. And that does not benefit anybody. People don't realize, yeah, but the, the civilians, you have a broader war. You're going to have civilians in Poland dying. You're going to have civilians in the Baltic Seas, Lithuania, um, Estonia, Latvia, the Baltic mm-hmm. states mm-hmm. dying. You're going to have civilians in Romania and Bulgaria. I mean, this is not a question of like, we're going to get involved, but only Ukraine's going to feel the pain. This is about expanding the pain right. to all these border states, Finland and beyond. Like, we don't yeah, know where right. this go. And that's assuming no nuclear weapons, which is not a good assumption to make because Russian doctrine authorizes first strike of battle, battlefield nuclear weapons if Russia is under threat. And it's very vague mm-hmm. on purpose because they're basically yeah. signaling, don't, don't F with us. There were like those... There were those several days when the U.S. couldn't even get a hold, couldn't even communicate with Russian commanders, you know, uh, you know, after like, I don't know what that's called. There's like a hotline between Russia and and the U.S. 
to yeah. in order to diffuse any misinformation. Yeah. Right, it's a crisis link. Right to 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 stave off it, an accidental like nuclear holocaust. I mean, you know, that's so. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually think Biden's handled it very well. I think Democrats have handled it very well. I think they they could have they could have pushed for a faster, but it's it's getting there now. You know, it's all in the end, it's all worked out very well. And and U.S. far and beyond providing the most weapons and equipment. And and so I I could say I wish they were sending some of this and some of that, but who knows? Maybe they are. Like we actually don't know exactly yeah. what they're selling and sending, and that's on purpose. Like we don't need to know. We don't need to telegraph to Russia exactly what the allies are sending ukraine other than like yeah we're going to send a lot of missiles that are going to kill your planes and your helicopters and your tanks so <laughs> are you sure you want to keep you know you want to keep this war going that's okay to communicate but specifics and uh and i'm even watching these major battles and ukraine's been very tight-lipped about how they're fighting those battles and winning those battles and that's all on purpose like we don't need to know we right. don't need to know uh we don't need to later when they yeah. hopefully when they win this thing, you know, when they right. get, when they come out at the other side of this, I don't know in what form that's going to be that it can be studied. Then there are drones above every battlefield, like multiple drones over every. So we they know what happened and someday we'll get to see it. But so there is that steady presence from the United States and it's doing so in a way that's also not stepping on the Europeans. It's allowing the Europeans to take the lead on a lot of these issues like Poland, because they're the ones that are directly affected. So, again, it's, it's not the Russian model. Russians, because they want to dominate their zone of influence. China wants to dominate their zone of influence. They can't imagine that the United States isn't calling the shots with NATO. But of course, we, U.S. can't get France and Germany to do <laughs> whatever. Otherwise, nor, you know, Nord Stream 2 wouldn't, wouldn't even exist. It never would have right, been built right. that the U.S. was calling the shots. So it, it's all a great balancing act between both not starting a war with, with Russia, but also in giving Europeans a chance to lead on this because they do need to lead. It's their backyard. It's, it's their freedom right. that's directly impacted. It's not us. The United States is not impacted. So, so this I is think- all... Yeah, I think we're so we were going to wrap up. I think, believe it or not, we've managed to just bloviate our way through <laughs> through like we can for talk. 50, 50 <laughs> minutes, you know, just like our guests dropped out and we're like, yeah, we'll just banter um, anyway. But we were going to go back to bring it back to the midterms and yes. uh, what we think this presents for Democrats in the midterms. You want to you were you were headed there. Yeah, I, I was I was headed there. It just it changes the, the nature of the debate. And I hope yeah. Democrats take advantage of it, because if they want to yell, if they want to yell tax prices or gas prices. then we can say, yeah, because of, you know, oil companies are gouging and there needs to be a windfall tax and Vladimir Putin, which, by the way, you guys supported for the last decade. Next. And, right. and just going on, to, uh, you know, and then they can sit there and scream about critical race theory. I think those issues, particularly issues of freedom, have really lost their teeth right now. I mean, they seem like so overwhelmingly important. And this is why that stupid freedom convoy like lost its mojo like immediately, because the second the war started, like all their complaints seem so petty and stupid. Seems so petty. And I got to tell you, this the whole idea of like critical race theory in the culture wars that could if 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 Democrats, if certain candidates seize on this, it could backfire entirely this whole idea of book bans i mean if you put yeah. this under the umbrella of authoritarianism versus democracy and you, you know book bans are like I, there's no greater example of 
autocracy and authoritarian regimes than book bans and clenching down on freedom of speech in that sense, you know? So like, you know, I mean, there's literally like, you know, pictures from Germany and Hitler and, you know, these and Nazis burning books, like photos. It's, it's amazing that, that you know? that's, they literally burn books. They literally burn books. You think it's a metaphor. It's not even a no, metaphor. No, it really, it really <laughs> happened. And it's, and, and what, what, what it leads to and mean. where, and, and where Republicans are headed with that is scary. And you know what? Most suburban voters know that and they've studied enough history to have some idea some inkling that it's not right and this is where you are seeing you are seeing some suburbanites sort of like start to push back on this whole idea of yeah we're going to just you know we're going to just the books are just disappearing you know they're just gone from the shelves you know so but you know so you 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 can you can hit gap gas prices um we talked at length about that, but you can hit the culture wars because mm-hmm. I, I don't think they mean what Republicans meant them to mean before Ukraine happened. I think they mean something entirely different now if you give them enough context. And for God's sake, learn from Liz Cheney, because not because we like her politics, we don't. But but her messaging is brilliant. Her, you know, her immediately tweeting out after the RNC, the Republican National Committee voted and said that, you know, that January 6th was legitimate political discourse and her immediately tweeting out video of, you know, of Trumpers beating on police and thrashing police and tear gas. I mean, not tear gassing, bear spraying them and using flagpoles to beat them, crushing them indoors. That was not legitimate political discourse. And just recently, you remembered, Marcos, there was that New York Times article. I think it was about you know a month and a half ago that was like, you know, right at the outset of the January 6th committee. Democrats weren't sure that they wanted to like go down this legal path of of whether or not Trump had committed crimes. You know, they thought it might be a little too aggressive. And Cheney was adamant that they should take that path. And she pressed forward on that issue over and over again. And what did we get this week? A federal judge saying it's likely now, not beyond a reasonable doubt, but in his estimation, it's likely that Trump committed crimes and He's basically and it wasn't it was it was over these um, issue of whether, um, you know, the legal the guy who laid out the legal theory for how Trump could steal the election, Dr. Eastman, whether he would have to turn over his documents and information to the January 6th committee. But that judge wrote this and it's it, it is like a plea for the Justice Department to take up this issue if it's not already. Um, and that's in, that's a in serious question. But he wrote this. If Dr. Eastman and President Trump's plan worked, had worked, it would have permanently ended the peaceful transition of power, undermining American democracy and the Constitution. If the country does not commit to investigating and pursuing accountability for those responsible, the court fears January 6th will repeat itself. It is just chilling to see that from a federal judge. And, you know, the Justice Department has got to take that up and Democrats have to take all of this stuff up. And And they got to run with it because if Republicans win the house, it kills this committee. So this is, this is, and that's a new playing field. It's it's, uh, our democracy, January 6th. It's Roe v. Wade because it's likely to be struck down. So that's going to be a big battleground. And it's the rising autocracy of the Republican party and the love of Russian style life or, you know, governance, which is autocratic. It's, it's, it's uh, suppressive. 
and it's dark. It really is it's dark. dark. So it's super dark. That's a different, different campaign than critical race theory and random freedom. So <laughs> Democrats need to make this shift. The, the ground is there. The material is there. That shift has to happen. I really do think Ukraine helps with that. Carrie, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're back. It's such a, I've had some great guest hosts the last you've, couple of weeks, but I'm- You've done, I'm, you've really killed it. You've been great. So. excited that, that you are back in on the saddle and glad you're healthy and you're and and uh we have a lot (laughs) this is going to be an interesting election this is they all are in their own way but wow um yeah we are watching history in in a dramatic way unfolding global history unfolding yeah global Uh, this is people are going to study this period of time people will study this period of time and let's hope that that what history the history that's told is is something that we can be proud of so thanks to everybody that, uh, that uh, the brief, you know, behind the scenes that works on the brief, Walter, Kara, and Dorothy. Thank you, the viewer. Carolyn, Carolyn Fiddler. Carolyn, thank yep. you, the viewer and the reader for, uh, for joining us every week, for joining us this week, and for being fellow travelers in this fight for our democracy. Wouldn't want to have anybody else by my side as we fight to win this November. So thank you so very much. Thanks for joining us this week and catch you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.